That last song that we sang together counts your many blessings, certainly identifies the purpose of thanksgiving. As we will be celebrating this week the national holiday of thanksgiving, it's certainly proper that we should reflect then upon the provisions that God has given us we too often times concentrate upon our sharp pullings and the things that didn't materialize that we had hoped would, but in doing so, we rob ourselves of the joy of peace and of comfort and of happiness in our day-by-day life. I stated in the note I sent out last night, the connection between happiness and thanksgiving. For it's truly, as we recognize what God has done, and we focus on that instead of the negatives of what we wish had transpired, then we are able to experience the joy that God has designed for us. We have spent the last year in that series that we titled Understanding Current Events, in the light of Bible prophecy. I've been compelled by the Spirit of God to explore those things with you throughout this past year with two primary objectives in my mind. The first was as we understand what God is doing and what He has planned and we read the last chapter of the book and we understand how it's going to come out, we are able to have Peace. Peace comes from the knowledge of what God is doing and that He has a plan and no matter what the circumstances that He's working in the midst of them. The second objective that I had in mind as we pursued that course of study this last year was that we might be motivated to understand what our role is in these last days, and motivated then to conform to that, simply making ourselves available to God as God both equips us and directs us in our daily walk. So it's fitting that we come to the close of this series on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. I didn't plan it. That way, I had no idea when we began how far, uh, how long it would take. And uh, God, however, is able to intervene. And uh, apparently the Holy Spirit planned it that way. So that as we come to this Sunday at the end of this series of studies for a year, we're in a much better position, hopefully, to understand the plan of God, to be motivated by that plan, to experience the peace, and above all, to give thanks to Him who has planned it, and not only planning it, but revealing to us that which He has revealed to us. We're better equipped, hopefully then, to give admonition and thanks because of our study. It's important as well that we understand the emphasis of thanksgiving is to be 
thankfulness. There's a difference between thanksgiving and thankfulness. And uh, we need to understand that connection between the two because uh, it is an attitude, thankfulness is an attitude that motivates the action of being, of giving thanks. We perhaps get into the custom and the practice of giving thanks as a routine, almost a ritual in various situations in our life, probably more especially at mealtime, uh, when and we are to give thanks for our food. And, and uh, if we're not careful, we can give thanks, express thanks, without being thankful for what God has provided for us. Genuine thanksgiving, though, is then promoted by thankfulness, that attitude of our heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, we're admonished to give thanks in everything. The scripture says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, in everything, give thanks. Doesn't say for everything, give thanks. But in the midst of everything, we are to give thanks. That word in is translated from the Greek preposition in, which identifies a static position in a location. It's that which identifies our standing in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The form of this preposition in the statement, in everything give thanks, the grammatical emphasis of it is what we identify as dative, locative, and instrumental. And I, I'm bewildered oftentimes by commentaries that attempt to understand and relate to the grammatical structure, believing that every jot and every tittle is divinely inspired, and then they miss so much, at such a distance, the structure of the language. The dative case is dative of advantage or disadvantage, and the syntax, so the context, has to explain whether it is advantage or disadvantage, and certainly in the context here, the dative case identifies that aspect that it is to our advantage to give thanks from a thankful heart. It is to our advantage. It's also that form carries the locative case which introduces us to location and that is where we are to give thanks the location, the circumstance, or the situation in which we find ourselves, in which we are to give thanks. And of course, in the context, it is for everything, in the sphere of everything, of all circumstances, we are to give thanks. And then the third aspect of that grammatical form is the instrumental case. The instrumental case identifies the means 
that is to take place in the action. The means is that we are to give thanks. There is a purpose and a plan to our giving thanks. And the last song that we sang this morning uh, before we began our message emphasized that as we give thanks in everything, we are able to identify the blessings uh, that God has for us. Now, some of those blessings are in, in anticipation uh, with Romans 8.28 uh, being so popular and identifying uh, the aspect that God causes everything to work together for our good. We don't always see how it's working together for our good. If we always saw that, then we perhaps would have a more thankful heart and that would be more expressive in our thanksgiving. But thanks is the means of assuring us and strengthening us in whatever circumstance we might be in. So it's to our advantage to express an attitude of thankfulness and that expression of thankfulness is to be in the sphere of the environment of whatever is going on, whatever uh, the context is to our circumstances. And thanksgiving then becomes the means by which we conform to the plan of God, to the will of God, as we find it in this verse. So it says, in that sphere of everything, of all the circumstances that we encounter in life, we are to give thanks. And then this statement is added, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the will of God. And so I'm often asked the question, and if I'm not asked it, then I try to get on the other side and do the asking, what is the will of God? That we give thanks in everything, or the circumstances, are they the will of God? Well, that certainly contributes then to some lively discussion as we begin to explore the very circumstances that we might experience in uh, our daily life. Uh, are all those things the will of God? Well, the answer to the question what are we, what is the will of God is both. The circumstances, yes, the circumstances are the will of God. They're within the will of God. And uh, the giving of thanks in those circumstances is the will of God. We have to be reminded that God has a directive will. He has a permissive will. And He has an overruling will. Nothing happens in our life that God is not involved in it and that his will is not related to it. Yes, even when we sin, it's under God's permissive will. Now there are times when God blocks the Christian from an activity or even a thought pattern or whatever it is that they might be going to pursue. So they're not able to go there. They're not able to do that. They're not able to walk out of that sphere of fellowship with him. He prohibits it by his overruling will. 
But day by day, His permissive will is in operation as well. And He permits us within the boundaries that He establishes for each of us oftentimes to become involved in activity or a thought pattern that's not beneficial to us, that may be even detrimental to us. But we have the understanding that He is at work in our life. The will of God is identified for us in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 when it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The good will of God is the directive will of God. That's what I call God's druthers. I would rather you do this as he sets forth the plan for us, the design that he has for us, and attempts to reveal that to us. And uh, he has for each of our lives, for each of our days, uh, his directive will. But then alongside of that comes his permissive will when he says, no, that's really not what I wanted for your life. That's really not the most profitable for you, but I will allow it. I will permit you with your own free will to act independent of me and to do that. And then there are times when God says, no, try as we might to depart into an area that he doesn't want us involved in. And he closes the door and he stops us from going into that arena being involved in that activity or even sometimes even thinking the thought as he interrupts us with his overruling will. Now you have heard me say on a number of occasions uh, and you'll continue to hear me as long as you are in my voice range uh, to say that I have often asked God to take away the permissive will. Take it away. Now I've pretty well given up frequently from asking for that because he has a plan in it all. But it's the permissive will that gets us in trouble. If he would eliminate that and give us his directive will and then his overruling will <clears throat> and we were forced to walk within those guidelines of his directive will because his overruling will forced it, then we would find we were more godly and we were more representative of the character of Christ that we ought to reflect to others about us. But he created us in his image. And part of that image, the very basic, the closest identification that I can come to finding how we're in the image of God is that area of free will, where he does give us free will. He has provided salvation for us. He has provided the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He has given us the authority of His Word. He has placed in our midst pastor teachers and uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to uh, interpret for us, uh, to comfort us and to convict us. And so we are left with His permissive will in many of our circumstances. In all of our circumstances then, it is the will of God. 
he allowed it in his permissive will, or he overruled it in his overruling will. He directed us by his directive will. So no matter what the circumstance, God is involved in it. He is aware of it. He knows the outcome of it, and he allows us most of the time to operate then with that permissive will. In all of our circumstances then, we are to be thankful. We are to give thanks. We're to give thanks even when we suffer from faulty decisions of our own. When we, in our rebelliousness or ignorance, walk contrary to that which God has revealed to us, in that circumstance we are to give thanks. There is a way for us to maintain that life eternal because of His provision for us. And uh, there is a lesson to be learned and profit for us to be able to experience the grace of God. Now, some of those in Paul's day were carrying that to uh, an extreme uh, degree. Paul said, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And so, with a little Greek philosophy thrown in, there were some early false teachers that came into the church who were saying, sin Sin, sin. The more you sin, the more you get God's grace. So experience the grace of God by sin, sin, sin. Well, of course, Greek philosophy of their religious concept called Gnosticism taught that the the objective of living life was to get the human spirit out of the body, the human soul out of the body. And so you could drive the soul nuts by going off into a monastery and living on bird seed and contemplating infinity. The soul can only take so much of that and get out of the body and you were free. You could go through a recycling process with their philosophy and religious ideas. You had to go through life's processes a number of times to reach a state of knowledge of, of Christ's consciousness so then that you were able to experience uh, a freedom from the body which they considered as evil. Paul said, no. Is that what God said? God forbid is the way the new the English translation uh, responds to that. Uh, it actually says absolutely not, emphatically no, underscored in four, four exclamation marks is about as close as we could come to the Greek negative that's used there, and so for that reason, many of the translators have simply written it, God forbid. No, we are not to sin in order to experience God's grace. God's grace is there so that we do sin, but sin is detrimental to us in a variety of other ways. So, we are needful then of being reminded that God's will is at play, and whatever our circumstances, in the midst of those circumstances, we are to have a thankfulness and express that 
in thanksgiving. Therefore, even though the majority of our nation has turned away from God and they continue to elect uh, godless leaders, and although the immoral behavior of the pagans has become accepted and even promoted in our society, we are to maintain an attitude of thankfulness that is expressed in our giving of thanks. What do we be thankful for in the midst of all these circumstances? Well, we'd be thankful that there is a God. And we are to be thankful that He has a plan that is going to see us through these circumstances. And we might add to that a thankfulness uh, that He has revealed much of that plan to us. The first American Thanksgiving was celebrated in 1621. It was celebrated to commute to uh, commemorate a harvest that had been reaped by the Plymouth colony after a very harsh winter in which only 53 out of the original 102 that started the journey survived that first winter. 53 out of 102 had died in that harsh winter uh, including some that died on the journey getting there uh, aboard ship. But in the fall of the year then, after coming through the all of those circumstances, and we're still in circumstances with a new winter coming on, they paused to give thanks to God. The colonists celebrated what was known to them as a traditional English harvest feast, and they invited the local Indians to join them because the local Indians were, in a big, to a big degree, the primary tool that God used to help them survive. They taught them about planting and about harvesting and being able to live in the environment of the new America. Deer and turkey were the two primary staples on their menu at that first celebration. Wild turkey. There's, if you haven't gotten one yet, there's some roaming around out here in the yard. And uh, deer, well, you'll have to have a deer tag if you're going to harvest one of those. But those were the two primary uh, main dishes. And then they had with them, of course, vegetables, corn that the Indians had taught them how to plant, and uh, they celebrated. Although half of their members had perished, there was an attitude of thankfulness that led to the action then of thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, we've just come through another national election in which the majority of the voters have expressed their contentment to continue the conversion of America from a democratic republic to socialism. 
from Christianity to hedonism. And although I have some serious doubts about the legitimacy of the election, it would seem that the people are content to allow the politicians to deny our heritage, to abandon biblical principles, the very principles upon which this nation was founded, while at the same time promoting an agenda of immorality and godlessness. And in the midst of this, we're commanded by God to be thankful, to give thanks to Him. The election was to the will of God. Oh, I don't think it even came close to His directed will. And certainly he could have overruled it as some of us want to pray. But everything that happens then happens with a purpose and a plan. And certainly we see the biblical prophecies uh, being fulfilled on a daily basis to a greater degree each day. Now the reason we are to give thanks, is found in that promise of Romans 8.28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to them who love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. We are able to give thanks and we are prompted to give thanks because we know that God causes all circumstances, all situations, all things to work together for our good and for those, the good of those who live according to the purpose to which we've been called. This series that we've been in, Understanding Current Events in the Light of Bible Prophecy, was designed then to acquaint us with God's plan. We saw in our study last time, Isaiah chapter 33 verse 6 says, Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Knowledge is the acquisition of information. Wisdom is the understanding of how that information relates to our lives. Wisdom and knowledge must come together. And while there is no provision of God to simply give you knowledge for asking, but instead we are instructed to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, while the knowledge comes by our study and our application, then Understanding of that comes by asking. If any of you lack wisdom, James said, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it will be given to him. That word wisdom, remember, is the Greek word sophos. It means the ability to understand how the circumstances, how the word of God relates to your circumstances and how they are working together for good. We then are able and admonished to give thanks based on knowledge and then on wisdom. Knowledge of God's plan 
results then in what I've identified as a reckoned conclusion. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul wrote, For I reckon that the sufferings of this life, this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is an important key to our having an attitude of thankfulness that expresses itself then in a genuine attitude of thanksgiving. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That word reckon is from the Greek word logizomai, and it's an accounting term. It means to arrive at a reason conclusion using the basic principles in order to arrive at a logical conclusion. God has given us principles of math. And if we use those principles, we will arrive at the right conclusion. You heard about the three men who went into a hotel to rent a room. The hotel manager said the charge for that room is $30. And so each of the men put up $10 and they went to the room. After the men were in their room, the manager realized he had made a mistake. That he had overcharged them. This is an old, old story. <laughs> overcharged them for $30 for the room. It was only a $25 room. So he called the bellhop over and he gave him five $1 bills and he said, there are three men upstairs in room such and such that I overcharged them. I charged them $30. Each one of them put up a third of that. So here's $5. Take it back and give it to the men. Well, the bellhop got on the elevator and started up the elevator and he wasn't all that bright, but he realized I have five $1 bills. I've got three men up there. How am I going to divide the five among the three? So he stuck $2 in his pocket and gave each one of them a dollar back. So where they had originally paid $30 for the room, they now paid 25. Each man had put up 10. Each man got a dollar back. Three times one is three. And the bellhop kept two. Let's see. So where they had paid $10, they now paid $9. With each of them getting a dollar back. Well, three times nine is 27. The bellhop kept two. That's 29. Where's the other dollar? I thought mathematics was a pure science. Well, it is a pure science. We just changed principle related to math, intermixed them in trying to explain that and to make a point. I first heard that illustration when I was in the third grade. I bugged every teacher 
through elementary school and through high school and a few into college to solve the problem of the missing buck. That is just that we use, we intermix the principal. You can't do it that way. You have to say, well, they paid $30 for the room. They got five back. Each man got a dollar back and bellhop kept two. That's five. Twenty-five and five is thirty. And it comes out right. But when you mix up the principles in the midst of the problem, you'll never arrive at the accurate conclusion. Much of that is amplified in our life as we fail to use the biblical principles so we don't arrive at the right conclusion. And so we are to acquire knowledge and we are to acquire then wisdom. That word reckon means to follow a process in order to arrive at a conclusion. It's the, the word in the Greek is the present tense. That's to be our continuous action. It's in the middle passive, which means we are to participate in an action that is initiated by someone else. God has provided us the principles. He has provided us the direction. He has provided us the Holy Spirit. It is in the indicative mood. That is the mood of reality. This is real. And it's in the first person singular, referring to the Apostle Paul through the processes he had been in with God, he came to the logical conclusion that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to even compare them to the glory that is the character that we are developing and will become that is ahead of us. That word glory from Dotson means honor that's bestowed based upon character. As we apply the Word of God to our life and as we apply the Word of God to our circumstances and in the midst of it all we recognize God has a plan for us. We are able to develop the character that is reflective of our being with God. All of creation is waiting for the time when the sufferings of this present world are over. Paul tells us that. And we go all the way back to the book of Genesis and we see the beginning of that curse. The circumstances that we encounter were inaugurated at the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God said to Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In Isaiah chapter 24, verse 6, the prophet wrote, Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the habitations of the earth are burned, and few men left. There is a curse upon this earth 
because of the rebellious sin of Adam and Eve. But creation is going to be freed from this curse. And uh, in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, we have an explanation of that. And I've given you a brief expanded translation based upon the grammar without going into uh, parsing and declining the parts of speech to simply give you a brief understanding in that enlarged situation. He said, for the concentrated and undivided, undivided expectation of creation is attentively and patiently awaiting the unveiling of the sons of God. Now we've been studying the plan where God is going to unveil the sons of God and we are going to become like Him and we're going to rule and reign with Him upon this present earth for a thousand years before all of this is dissolved and a new heaven and a new earth began. But we find that all of creation is concentrated and has undivided expectation in attentively and patiently awaiting for the day of the millennial reign of Christ when we will rule and reign with Him and the curse will be lifted from the earth. For the creation, Paul continues, was subjected to futility, not by choice, but because of the one who put it under subjection upon the basis of confident expectation, because even the creation itself also will be freed from the slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we have seen and continue to understand that all the creation groans together and is in labor together until the present. The majority of that curse is going to be removed at the manifestation of the sons of God in the millennium when we come to rule and reign with Christ. But it's not just creation alone. We as believers groan within ourselves as well. The situation of Christians is different from the rest of creation. And although we as believers have been born again, we've been born of the Spirit, so that we now have a human spirit, we can understand spiritual things, yet we continue to live in the flesh. And we groan within ourselves, uh, awaiting the transformation that's coming. But we have God's promise in the midst of that groaning and anticipation and waiting that God is causing all these circumstances to work together for our good. Look further at Romans 8 again, this time beginning at verse 23. And not only so, but also ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, we are we also ourselves in ourselves groan eagerly expecting and yet patiently awaiting the full realization of the results of our adoption, that is the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in the sphere of confident expectation, 
But that which has been seen for oneself is not expectation for that which a person has seen for himself. Why does he continue to just expect it? We are to live in the same attitude of Christ and that the scripture is written. When you read the Old Testament prophets, it's written in the past tense. It's already done in the plan and the mind of God. We're just playing it out. And so we need to have that same kind of realization as we go through life day by day, and especially when we approach this time of Thanksgiving, that perhaps we can get our thankfulness in line with Thanksgiving. He said, but since that which we have not seen for ourselves, we have confident expectation toward through patience, we eagerly and patiently, confidently wait for it. There are some things we do not know. There are some lessons that have not been given. There are some explanations that are yet lacking. But in that faith, because we have seen Him at work in our life and we know His plan and we have accepted that, we can then confidently with expectation, wait for that which we actually have not seen take place yet. The Holy Spirit provides for us the necessary resources until that day comes. Jesus was emphatic with His disciples that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to assist us until He returns. In John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In John 15, verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So in Romans 8, 26-27, Paul then reminds us of God's provision. And similarly also, the Spirit assists us with reference to our weakness. Because the particular thing that we should pray for according to what is necessary in the nature of the case, we do not know with absolute knowledge. But the Spirit Himself comes to our aid by interceding with groanings that cannot be uttered. When we know not how we should pray, how we should direct our request, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in that behalf. And no, that's not tongue speaking. There are some that teach that this is a reference to being able to speak in tongues, to pray in tongues then, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, would you notice it said with groanings that cannot be uttered? So there's no noise in it. It's communication between the Holy Spirit and the Father on our behalf. And the one who searches the hearts and understands what is the mind of the Spirit because he continually intercedes on behalf of the saints according to the norms and standards of God. There are times when we don't know how to pray. 
At times when it were left to us, we might ask for the wrong thing. We might pray for the wrong provision. And the Holy Spirit is able to intercede if our heart is right with God and we are in fellowship with Him on our behalf. Our peace and our contentment then is going to be based on the knowledge that we have and of course the application of that. Our ability to give thanks regardless of what our circumstances are is the promise that God is going to cause all circumstances to work together for our good. One of the most fundamental promises in the Word of God. There was a time when I claimed it as my favorite verse, but I I learned that God's going to work that out, but sometimes I don't like the way He's going to work it out. And so Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 is the one that I cite which says, woe is me. But God is going to take our woeful situations and turn them into blessings if we will depend upon Him. Verse 28 from the expanded translation says, For we have gained complete knowledge in the past, resulting in our continuing knowledge that God keeps on working everything together into that which is beneficial in its effect to them who as a matter of principle love God, which is to their advantage, to them who are called according to the norms and standards predetermined and based upon their response. God causes those things to work together for us. This is the promise of God. And it is true beyond the shadow of any kind of doubt. Yet our peace and our giving of thanks in everything depends upon our knowledge of this promise. There are five basic words in the Greek language for knowledge. This one is based on experience. Knowledge that is based on experience. Our knowledge is not required for God to cause everything to work together for good. Let me say that again. Our knowledge is not required for God to work all things together for our good. But our knowledge is required if we're going to have peace in it. And if we're going to have an attitude of thankfulness that truly expresses itself accurately in thanksgiving. This was God's plan from eternity past. The assurance of God working His plan as revealed to us in Bible prophecy might be challenged by a godless society, but today's current events declare again and again His plan is on schedule. He was not surprised by the elections that just affirmed the direction that the world's taking. Those elections confirmed his approaching intervention in the structure of this world order. So this year's Thanksgiving observance may ignore the one to whom thanks are to be given, but his plan 
is nevertheless moving on toward culmination. Paul affirms this in verses 29 and 30 of Romans 8. Because those he foreknew, he also marked out beforehand as those who he purposed to be conformed to the derived image of his Son with the result that he is the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those he marked out beforehand, those he also conformed to the plan, moreover, those he conformed to the plan, them he also gave honor and esteem based on their character. In other words, God in eternity past knows the decision that every human being that ever lives upon planet earth will make concerning a relationship with him. And those that he foreknows will be responding positively. He predestines them to get that exposure, to get that information, to receive that opportunity so they can exercise their own free will. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God appoints angels over those that are going to be saved to see that they get there. And his knowledge is based upon his understanding of the decision that we will make with our free will concerning salvation. And beyond that, every decision that we will make. He knows. He didn't select some to be saved. He identified all who would respond and he predestined them forever to have that protection and care, that opportunity to see that to fruition. Of the 102 pilgrims that set out in search of a new life, only 53 of them survived that first winter. But they set aside three days to give thanks to God. For they understood that God Himself was causing all the circumstances that they were encountering to work together for good. He wasn't manipulating all the circumstances. That would have been His overruling will, but He was working them together for that. Times are hard. Immorality and injustice are commonplace. Christianity is certainly under attack. The props are being placed on the stages. Actors and actresses are jockeying for lead roles. And it's time, in the midst of that, for us to give thanks. For us to have a thankfulness that promotes and prompts thanksgiving. Romans 8.31 again said, What shall we therefore say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? For a year we've looked at the plan of God. We've stood in amazement as we've observed history and we've seen the plan of God being executed out in our activities and in the political world and in the social world, 
We saw the prophecy of Revelation present the various phases of the church age. And we've been in awe at the exactness of God's prophecy and its fulfillment in the past and His prophecy of identifying these seven periods of the church age. We now stand in the period of the Laodicean church and we have personally seen the conformity of the established church to what was declared in the scripture of prophecy as being lukewarm and human-focused rather than God-focused. This once godly nation has become godless. Having the form of knowledge of God, but as the scripture says, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful. The result of that is clearly evident in the annex of the LBGTQ plus XYZ or whatever you might want to add to it. Paganism in exact alliance with the declarations of Romans chapter 1 where the scripture said, when they good knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. He turns them over to a reprobate mind. For this cause, God gave them over to vile affection. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and re- re- receiving in themselves that recompense of their error. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Sounds like society today. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them to do that. And so the question and the answer to our circumstances are provided in Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? Here's the answer. If God be for us, who can be against us? The conclusion of the matter is, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But of course it begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's my prayer that we have a genuine thanksgiving. It begins with thankfulness and it's expressed then in thanksgiving. Turn with me to hymn number 187 as we sing Amazing Grace That Makes Such Available and profitable to
to us today. 